Hello and welcome to Highly Contested. This podcast covers some of the hottest topics in the world of football and basketball, where our crew gives our highly contested takes on these topics and supports our takes with facts. Today's podcast, recorded and posted on August 18th, 2020, will cover the NBA playoffs. But fear not, football lovers, we will be talking about the NFL soon enough. I'm Andrew, and I'm here with George. And Joe, some of, today's, some of today's featured topics include how worried should the Lakers be after game one? Did the refs cost the Mavericks the game by giving Porzingis his second technical foul? And did the Rockets look better without Russell Westbrook on the court? Let's dive headfirst into it here on Highly Contested. We're going to start off with the hottest game so far, the Los Angeles Lakers versus the Portland Trailblazers. The Lakers and the Trailblazers played the first game of their series yesterday. Blazers started out hot. Then the Lakers came, uh, the Lakers came back, and it was neck and neck until the Blazers, led by Damian Lillard's 34 points, hit some clutch threes at the end to seal the game away. LeBron had 23 points, 17 rebounds, and 16 assists. So, George, how worried should the Lakers be after losing game one? Um, I'm not worried at all. As a Laker fan, no need to panic. It's one game. Uh, I said this was going to be a six-game series, so in order for that to be true, Blazers got to win two games, right? So I'm not worried at all. They came out, punched the Lakers in the mouth in that first quarter. But I, I did see some good things along with some bad things from the Lakers. Um, LeBron, Anthony Davis both played well. The Lakers role players need to make their open shots. But I liked what I saw defensively after that first quarter. They even had 11 steals in the game. They were picking up Damian Lillard from half court, making him make tough decisions and tough shots, making the other players make plays. Uh, LeBron had an historic night. 20 points, 15 assists, 15 rebounds, never been done in the playoffs. And like you said, ended up with 23, 16, and 17. Followed by Anthony Davis and his 28 points, 11 rebounds. Now, this was a historically bad three-point shooting game for the Lakers. Don't think this will be repeated in the following games. It started slow, but showed that they could defend the Blazers I, like I said, I still got this going six games. Now, Drew, I, I got a question for you. I know you're a, a LeBron lover yourself. Mm-hmm. Drew, um, who, who's the GOAT? Who would you consider the GOAT? Oh, you know me, bro. Oh, GOAT James, Mr. LeBron. He's in the house, and uh, he's ready, boy. All right, you consider him the GOAT. I got a follow-up question for you, my friend. Do mm-hmm. GOATs lose in the first round against an eight seed? I mean, historically, I'm not 100% sure. I know the supposed GOAT, Michael Jordan, I know he lost in the first round a lot. but um, to, to an eight seed? I'm not sure, actually. I, I would have to do the research. Well, I mean, that, that's what I got. So let's see what, what you got. Let's get this contested already. All right. So, uh, Joe, 
All right. Do you so look, believe? I'm sorry. Do you look, believe? Look, 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 at, look at this. I got something with to George. No one ain't talking about LeBron's historic night. Everyone's talking about how Dame put the team on his back, though. All right. You could see, you could um, pick him up from the half court line. And look at that. He was still making his jump shots from the logo. Okay. <laughs> like I said, wait, you know, th- those are shots I think Lakers will take. You know, those are tough shots. If he makes them, you live with it, but you got to make everyone else make plays. And Charles, what Charles Barkley said about sweeping the Lakers is Portland wins game one. I think that's a little out far reached, you know. But I think if they'll go to game five, Portland win it. I know I said it'll go all the way to game seven, but Portland starting five is just a little bit too much for the Lakers. So I say game five. You feeling that confident, huh? Yeah, dude. From what I've seen yesterday, that's a good match. Mm. So are you are you worried about the Lakers then? I ain't worried about the Lakers. Come on. Okay. They're not even in my thought. <laughs> okay, so um, I personally am not I, – I don't think they should be worried, and I'm not worried either. Um, I looked at this game, and I saw a couple things with the Lakers. The first thing I saw was their defense was great, uh, and their shooting was poor. So first I'm going to start with uh, – first I'm going to start with their shooting – LeBron should have had somewhere from 20 to 25 assists this game. I mean, there was times where he set his teammates up so perfectly with open shots and they just weren't hitting those shots. Um, And uh, we're going to talk about, we're going to switch it up and talk about their defense. Everybody's was talking about how, Oh, Portland shot 39.2% from the field and they didn't play that great either. Uh, when it comes to, you know, when, when people make the points about how the Lakers didn't play that great, uh, everyone jumps on, everyone jumps back to, well, Portland didn't play that great either. They shot 39.2%. But the Lakers played great defense the entire game, which I believe is the reason why Portland Trailblazers missed a lot of those shots. Another thing that I like to add, I thought the game was well officiated. And it definitely felt like a playoff game to me, the way the refs were letting them play, which was the first time I felt like that about any game yet this playoffs. So here are some of my keys for game two uh, that I think need to happen. Uh, and I'm not worried that they will happen. I, I, I do believe they will happen. My first key for game two is I think Anthony Davis needs to stop disappearing in the second half of important games. When you're talking about, a guy who had 21 points in the first half and then followed it up with seven in the second half. You cannot, if you're Anthony Davis, you cannot score only seven points in an entire half of a playoff game. You got to do better than that. And maybe, you know, maybe it stems from uh, LeBron doing a better job of getting him the ball. Maybe it stems, maybe it comes from Anthony Davis being just more assertive and saying, I want the ball. Either way, he's got to get the ball more, and he's got to make plays. My second key is you either got to start Caruso 
or you got to sub him early on because he was a difference maker. You're talking about the guy, you're talking about a guy who had a plus minus of 12 plus 12 for the game. And you noticed his defensive intensity the moment he came on. As soon as he came on, the Lakers' overall defensive intensity came out. And I thought that was big. You saw when he came in, he did, um, I believe it was with three minutes left in the first quarter. He comes in and he, you know, he dunks the ball. And the, the Lakers bench goes wild and everybody's pumped up. And I believe that little things like that, especially in a bubble environment where there's no fans, little things like that are what's going to help the Lakers to get motivated and to win some ga- some important games in this series. And then uh, my last point is Caruso, KCP, and Danny Green. I noticed that they picked up Dame and CJ a lot before the half court even for a good part of the game. They were applying pressure, and that's something that I'd like to see more of heading into game two, especially at the end of the game, so that you do your best to try not to let Dame, CJ, or, or even Gary Tran Jr. Uh, go off. But those were some of my keys. Uh, just, to, just to reiterate, AD needs to stop disappearing in the second half. You either sub Caruso early on or you start him. And Caruso, KCP, and Danny Green need to pick up Dame and CJ before the half court for a lot more of the game in game two, I believe, because I think that was very effective in applying pressure back to you, George. I, I do agree with the points you just made. I do think they will make a rotation sub or difference. I think they got to, you know, add in some more J.R. Smith, some Dion waiters to get some scoring in there. Um, one other point that I did notice while watching the game was the Blazers looked tired in that fourth quarter. They had the whole team had their hands on their hips. They're bending over. They're tired. They're gassed. Now they still ended up making those tough shots when it came down to the clutch time. So that was impressive. But I think since the bubble, they've been in playoff mode. So again, one of my questions though I had in the last uh, podcast was, can they keep this up? So after game one, they look tired. We'll see how they look game two. But in a seven-game series, you know, this this is going to matter down the stretch of these games, and we'll see how they they do. It's game time, Chuck. It's game time. Hey, hey, a broken clock is right twice a day, and I got them <laughs> winning two games. <laughs> so there's your game time, Joe. <laughs> Anything else you'd like to input, Joe? Um, just a couple, uh, like a keys for game two from Portland. Um, just limit the turnovers they had because I know they had a, a pretty penny of them. Um, get all the other players a little bit more involved. You know, it's, it is game team. Just get them so he doesn't have to break his back on every play. For sure. Um. So to touch up on some of the points that you were making, George, uh, I do agree that um, they need they need some more offense. Whether they get that from Dion Waiters or J.R. Smith, I think they need a little bit more offense. I mean, KCP, that dude was just out there running cardio. I mean, he, 
You're talking about the player who actually has a number one on his jersey, and he had a triple one. <laughs> one point, yeah. one rebound, one assist. <laughs> yeah. That's, that, that's he, the MVP right there. Can't, can't have that in a playoff game from a starter. I agree. His, I mean, I will say his defense was top-notch. I mean, his defense was phenomenal, I believe. But um, you, can't, you can't have that. I mean, he's got to make – He's got him. He shot five threes, and he's got to make you know at least two of them. You know yeah. what I mean. I, I will also add that Kuz, Kuzma looked good when he was aggressive. I would like to see him a little more aggressive in game two. Mm-hmm. He did. T- he did take over one of those quarters where he was just attacking the basket. He was making tough layups. So I, I would like to see more of that from Kuzma. I'd like to see more of that as well. Um, I do agree with you, uh, but again. Um, to, to reiterate, the big X factor is AD because they came back in the first half, I believe, because of his 21 points, and this guy only scored seven in the second half. That's, that's big. Um, I remember actually Shaquille O'Neal even saying uh, – or I'm sorry, not Shaquille O'Neal. Um, Kenny, Kenny the Jet Smith, he even said um, that it was a quiet 28 points, he felt like, because – he scored the 21 in the first half, and yeah, that was impressive. But Kenny said that Kenny said that he himself, when he used to play, he used to be the guy that would double on players. And he said never, never throughout the game did he feel like he had to go double Anthony Davis. And that's that's that just can't fly. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's has the potential to be, you know the best player in the game and he, you know, he definitely is a top five player, but he is just not showing that dominance um, in important games. And I believe he needs to. I agree. Anthony Davis must step up in the second half, but back, back to the question on, are you worried about the Lakers? Mm -hmm. Joe, you, Joe, you said you're not worried, but you got the Blazers in five. So so wouldn't you be worried if you're a Laker? If, if you're a Lakers fan, you have to be worried. Yeah, yeah. So to answer the the question, you would be worried if you're a Laker. If I was a Lakers fan, yeah, so I would be worried. All right. Uh, we're going to switch things up now, and we're going to the other team from L.A., and we're going to talk about the Clippers versus the Mavericks. The Mavericks controlled most of the first game after a rocky start. But then three minutes into the second half, Luka Doncic gets confrontational with Marcus Morris when he grabs Luka's arm as the referees blow the play dead. Porzingis comes to his teammate's aid by confronting Marcus Morris, but then gets ejected for his second technical foul of the game. Porzingis left the game with 14 points and 16 rebounds. The Clippers then capitalize on the Mavericks' loss of Porzingis and win game one. So, George, did the refs cost the Mavericks the game by giving Porzingis his second technical foul? Most definitely, without a doubt. Um, The ejection of Porzingis definitely had an effect on the outcome of this game. Both texts that Porzingis received weren't really serious fouls that deserved a tech or ejection. That first tech was a clean block, and then you see Porzingis show some emotion. He did swing. So I guess by the letter of the law, you know, that does deserve a tech. Um, but that block 
was clean, so that should have never even happened to begin with. But, you know, I, I understand that tech for swinging, you know, in the air. Um, but leading up to the second tech, the refs were allowing the Clippers to be real physical with Luka. They're just hitting him. Like you said, Morris was grabbing his shoulder, his arms. And all I saw from Porzingis was he was trying to back up his teammate. He, When he walked over there, he wasn't trying to escalate the situation. He just walked in between Luca and Morris. And then Morris decided to shove Luca. You know, so I think Morris should have got that tech, you know, but they gave it to both. And obviously that was Porzingis' second tech, so that was an ejection. But I don't, I don't think Porzingis deserved that second one. What are your guys' thoughts on that? Yeah, Joe, what are your thoughts? Did the refs cost the Mavericks the game? Oh, yeah, 100% the refs cost them that game. That first tech, it was – it shouldn't even ever happen. It was a clean clean block. The second one, Kristoff was just trying to protect his teammate. Yeah, he did He did a little, little arm swing, but – it should have been just one tech for each, and that would have been Kristoff's first tech. And that double tech technically cost the Mavs the whole game. They would have won if he would have never gotten that second tech. Okay, so I'm going to have a different take than both of you. Uh, now, I want you guys to – Kind of let me finish before, you know, you give your input on what I'm saying. Uh, so the question, of course, is, did the refs cost the Mavericks the game by giving Porzingis his second technical foul? Now, I'm, ans- I'm answering by saying, no, the refs did not cost the Mavericks the game by giving Porzingis his second technical foul. I agree that, um, you know, the first tech was a pretty, you know, was a pretty bad call. The second tech was, you know, also pretty bad. But let's look at them. The first tech is it, it it's in my opinion i think uh it could have been blown off by the ref easily but they gave the same technical foul on paul george early in that game in the first quarter for the same exact reason throwing a fist so in my opinion you have to give Kristaps porzingis that technical foul because then it appears that you are biased towards the dallas mavericks so I believe that the first tech definitely needed to be given, considering that it was given to Paul George for the same exact reason. And for the second technical, here's the thing. Porzingis has to know that he has a tech. So he has to know that he can't get involved in a situation that risks him getting ejected. I believe that that comes down to, that comes down to just him making a poor decision and it was his first ejection of his career actually um and it came on his first playoff game so that leads me to you know that leads me to ask did he let the emotions get to him did he let the overall emotions of a playoff atmosphere get to him um now the ejection was big because i believe that this that that game was the Mavericks' best chance to win a game in the series, and they couldn't do it. Let's look at some statistics. 4.45 left in the fourth quarter. You guys were making the claim that they were letting, they were letting the Clippers play 
against Doncic. Well, I don't believe that for a second. Doncic had 15 free throw shots alone, just him, for the game. The Clippers, as a team, had 12 free throw shots. So you're talking about one player versus the entire opposite team. And Doncic still had more free throws. At the end of the first half, Mavericks actually shot 12 from 21 from three. 57%. That's a really good percentage from three. The Clippers also, they just they looked off to me. They looked confused. They looked out of place. Um, and, of course, they still got it done at the end with Paul George coming up with the clutch dagger from three. But they still just looked off to me. Um, I believe that this was the Mavericks' best chance of winning and a poor, a poor mistake, uh, decision, mistake, whatever you want to call it, from Porzingis, I believe was the difference maker in this game. I do believe that. But I don't believe the refs cost the Mavericks the game because Porzingis can't do something as foolish as that when he knows he has a technical foul. He can't get himself into a situation that risks him getting ejected. Um, so to answer the question, no, they did not cost the game. I believe they cost themselves the game. And it's unfortunate for them because, like I said, that was their best chance to win a game, I believe, this series. George? I'm, I'm sticking with it, man. I think the refs blew it on that, that call. I'm going to stick with uh, Dirk Nowinski, LeBron James, Pat Mahomes, how they said on Twitter. I mean, th- this is a playoff game. You know, emotions are going to come out. It was a close ball game. You know, the, the Mavs were rolling. I just I just don't see that, that second tech being that serious to call in a playoff game. But, I mean, it is what it is. You got to move to game two at this point. Got to put in your past and uh, see see if what they can do in game two. I agree. Joe, how about you? Any final thoughts? Yeah, I'm still sticking with my gut. That extra... How many minutes were left in our fourth quarter, Drew? Uh, when for which for which statistic? The one about the free throw shots? No, when uh, he got ejected. Oh, he got ejected. There was nine minutes left in the third, so it was like at the very beginning of the second half. Oh, see, that just took one whole fourth. That took one fourth quarter, all gone from Porzingis, that he could have contributed with his points. And uh, some of the third quarter, that just that's two and a half quarters right there. If you think about of him not being of him not playing, Mm. yeah, and he had fourteen points and six rebounds when he got ejected. Yeah, big contributor. Mm -hmm. Gone. Well, yeah, he is there. He is there. Second in command, I guess, if you will, um, on the on the Dallas Mavericks. So he's a you know he is the big X factor, like you guys were saying. And once he left the game, um, you can definitely tell that the vibe of the game shifted tremendously. So, but again, I still believe that that the refs are not responsible for that. They have to call a game how it is. And I believe that the second technical was a bad call, but. If you're Porzingis, you can't risk that, man. You can't walk. You can't just walk into whatever you know situation. He can't get himself in a situation that risks him getting ejected. Bottom line. Now let's take it to the Eastern Conference and talk about the big upset so far in the playoffs. The Bucks got outscored thirty-three to twenty-three in the first quarter 
The number eight seed Magic would then coast the rest of the game behind Nikola Vucevic's 35 points and 14 rebounds, leading to a game one victory over the number one seeded Bucks. George, are you worried about the Bucks moving forward in this series or even in this playoffs? Okay, so to answer that two-part question, I would say I'm not worried for this series, but I am worried for them moving on. Um, the Bucks, man, they just looked very stagnant. No, very little ball movement. It was all Giannis, and they were playing great defense on them, and no one else could hit a shot, you know? Um, so I, I still believe they'll be able to get past the the Bucks. I mean, the Magic. Sorry about that. Um, I don't see the Magic winning this seven-game series. Very impressive win. I mean, they were out with uh, without Gordon and some other key players, and they were able to get this win. I just feel like the Magic just came out harder, and the Bucks just got punched in the mouth like the Lakers did game one. Interesting take. Joe, what do you believe? Uh, I believe that the Bucks had a little hiccup in their game planning, but man, the Magic looked real good that game. Nothing could stop them, and I feel like the Bucks moving forward, it, it, it'll be pretty scary. But I believe they just need to have more ball movement. Not everything needs to be involved around Giannis, like. He's playing pickup, and he's the best player, and everyone just keeps passing it to him. So I believe moving forward, I think they'll be all right as long as they do better game planning and everyone's involved. Interesting take. Um, So I'm looking at uh, this series and the playoffs, and um, I'm worried about both, honestly. I believe the Magic looked like they had the home field advantage against the Bucks. I really believe that. I mean, let's look at some statistics. They shot 19 of 26 in the first quarter. That's 73%. 5 of 10 from 3, that's 50%. They looked cool, calm, collected, and in control the entire game. And it just looked like they were the home team. Yes, everyone is in a bubble. But let's remember, the bubble is in Orlando, which is home for the Magic. They didn't have to travel anywhere. They didn't have to, uh, they didn't have to pack any bags, uh, lose any sleep, this or that. This is, this is home for them. This is very familiar. This is very comfortable for them, which is why I still believe that they have the home field advantage. They might not have the, they might not have the fans rooting for them, but then again, the Bucks don't have any fans rooting for them either. So I believe they do have a home field advantage in a way. And I believe it showed game one. George? Yeah, so um, just to piggyback on some of the points that you made, I mean, they still had to pack their bags because they can't just leave the bubble whenever they feel like it, right? <laughs> so they, they still had to go through all that. This is still an experience that, you know, no one has ever been in. And... This is where the the lower seeds, I believe, have an advantage since there is no home court, right? So this would be a totally different game if it was in Milwaukee and you got the fans cheering and going crazy. 
I mean, there, there's no fans right now. So the lower seeds, you know, they're not affected by that, that away crowd. So these early games are interesting to watch with no, no fans. I do think the lower seeds get the advantage in these against the higher seeds. Joe? I just got to say, um, Bucks just got to do a better job, plain and simple. Yeah, I think uh, at the end, at the end of the day, I look at that game and it raises some concerns. Like you, like you said, um, George, the uh, the the flow seemed very stagnant. It, it didn't really seem like there was flow. Honestly, um, there was not a lot of ball movement, as as you both pointed out, I believe. Um, and you could you could make the argument that a lot of that was Orlando coming out with a ton of energy. Uh, both offensively and defensively, but um, again, am am I worried about the Bucks moving forward in this series? Yeah, I would say so. In the playoffs, most definitely, I am worried. How worried are you? So, do, do you got the Magic win in this series, or you got this going a full seven? How, I still. How worried are you? That's a good question. I still, I still believe that the Bucks will win this series. But if the Magic continue playing like they played that game one, if the Magic continue looking like they have a home field advantage, um, they can very well win this series. What, what do you got this series going? How many games? I'm looking at it and I'm thinking that I'm thinking that the Bucks will bounce back. I'm thinking that it'll be a four to six, uh, sorry, a four to two series. So in six games, um, I think that the Magic can come out with that same energy in, a, in another game. But I believe that the Bucks will get it done. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I got this going in five. I don't think the Bucks will lose another game. But moving forward, if they got to play uh, the Miami Heat, I think they could run into some problems in that second round. Interesting. Yeah. We'll definitely be talking about that when we get to the second round. So let's move back to the West and talk about how well the Rockets did in their first game of the series versus the Oklahoma City Thunder. The Rockets controlled most of the first half, ending with a commanding 68-52 to lead by halftime. The third quarter was very similar to the first half, which helped the Rockets take game one behind Harden's 37 points. The Rockets did this without Russell Westbrook, who missed game one with a strained right quad. So, George, did the Rockets look better without Westbrook on the court? I'm going to say no, they did not. Now, if you just look at their splits with and without Westbrook on the court, the pace of play drops to the bottom half of the NBA. So their pace slows down. It's a lot more ISO play with James Harden. Now, James Harden is a great ISO player, one of the best, but... Westbrook just adds that other dynamic when he's attacking the ba- uh, attacking the paint, dishing it out to wide open shooters, and we already know that Rockets got shooters and they hit those. Um, now, without Westbrook on the court, the Rockets also attempt six fewer three pointers a game. The offense, like I said, is more ISO, and then Westbrook, he's a former MVP. He's, this season, he's averaging 27.2 points, 7.9 rebounds, and 7 assists. So I just don't believe that taking him off the court makes the Rockets better. What are your thoughts, Joe? Um, I, I agree with you, Chuck. Um, they, they don't necessarily look better, but 
I feel like they had a really good game, and depending on how uh, long Westbrook is out, I think they'll be fine. And uh, the, James Harden, keep doing what you're doing, bro. I think um, – so my take on this question, so the question was, did the Rockets look better without Westbrook on the court? I think they did, um, at least for this game. Uh, do you guys know the Rockets had 44 points in the paint? You made, you made the argument that, like, he drives in the paint and he gets those points and he even kicks out to, to shooters. The Rockets were doing that without him. Um, Eric Gordon, 15 of his points came from driving in the paint. He had 10 points where he made layups, and then he had five free throws from uh, driving and getting fouls his way. Uh, he, be- he became a threat, so he was able to kick the ball out to the three-point line for four assists when teams started closing in on him uh, as he drove in the lane. And let's think about this. He can still shoot the three well, Eric Gordon, which is the one difference I have between him and Russell Westbrook. Uh, Russell Westbrook cannot shoot the three as well. So I believe that if you have Aaron Gordon driving in the paint as much as he was doing – and he's able to kick it out to shooters at the three, well, then, you know, he's, he's almost in a way better than Westbrook because he can shoot the three as well. And uh, another key player that I had was uh, Daniel House Jr. He had five assists, which is the most on the team, from driving in the paint and kicking out to open shooters. So if you have James Harden, Eric Gordon, and Daniel House Jr., all three of them driving in the paint – Getting a lot of those paint points, remember, 44 points, that was a third of their points at the end of the game. Uh, if you have them driving and getting those paint points, then they're a threat. And, you know, the Thunder's got to close in, which means that they're able to kick the ball out to open shooters and get assists. So I believe that they did look better, actually, without Westbrook, at least for this game. No, I'm I'm not I'm not gonna say they look better without Westbrook. I just think the Thunder looked bad in game one. Uh I predicted hot in game one. They they didn't. The Thunder didn't really play great defense and they were known for defense this year. Um so I, I think that was a big part of it on all those point uh points in the paint, like you said. I just don't think the Thunder came out and played great defense. Um I also said in that first podcast, I mean, I, I really don't even think they need Westbrook for the Thunder. I, I had this going five games. I didn't see the Thunder as a big threat. Um, and I, I would still rest Westbrook and rather have him healthy 100% for their second round, where I think they will definitely need him. Um, but yeah, I, I still believe that you do not get better losing one of your superstars. I agree. I think you. I think you rest Westbrook because I mean, obviously they won Game One in a you know in a very commanding fashion. So I believe that they don't at this point they don't need him. So uh, rest up, bud. You know, get healthy. There's still a lot of playoff games to be played. So um, I believe that you rest him as well. But again, I mean, they uh, to your point of the Oklahoma City playing bad defense. I don't think it was necessarily them playing bad defense. I think it was the Rockets just playing phenomenal offense. Like I said, you know, they drove in the paint a lot, um, which allowed the which allowed them to become a threat in the inside. So if the Thunder if the Thunder had players crashing the the paint because you know somebody drives down the lane, well then that person just kicks it out to an open three point shooter, 
And I mean, if you saw a lot of their open threes came from defenders being pulled into the paint and then having to sprint back to the three point line to guard a three point shooter, which did not work out because those three point shooters were hitting those threes. Joe, any takes? Okay, so let's move on. We're going to talk about now the Toronto Raptors, and they had their first game of the series versus the Brooklyn Nets on Monday. The defending champs looked sharp as they coasted to a 134-110 to win over the Nets behind Fred Van Vliet's 30 points and 11 assists. So, George, did the Raptors look like they can win it all without Kawhi? Um, I, I'm going to say, see, that's a tough question because I do think they're looking really good this season without Kawhi. But to answer the question about winning a championship without Kawhi Leonard, uh, don't get me wrong, they have awesome pieces. You know, Fred Van Fleet, Pascal Siakam, and Kyle Lowry is showing that he could be a great leader. But they've shown in the past that they choke in the playoffs, they're known as the baby dinosaurs by some. So I, I still need to see more because the Nets, they don't have a lot of their great stars. So uh, I'm going to wait and see, hold my breath, see what they can do in the second round against possibly the Celtics. If they show me what they could do against the Celtics, then maybe you'll have to ask me this question again. Indeed. Um, Joe, did, did we lose you, Joe? Looks like we lost Joe, so we're going to carry on. Um, So the question is, do the Raptors look like they can win it all without Kawhi? I don't believe so, personally, uh, for the sole reason that they don't have that guy uh, to help them win those close games. They don't have that star, um, that superstar or star, if you will, whatever you want to call them. They don't have that top player. Um, Let's look at some of their key players. First one I'm going to talk about is uh, Lowry. Um, You made the point. They've been known as the baby dinosaurs. I believe a huge part of them being known as the baby dinosaurs is Kyle Lowry. He's just not that guy. Um, And if you, and if you didn't get that from game one, I mean, you can look at his long playoff career and you can see that he's proven many times that he can't be that guy. But let's just look at game one, game one. He had, uh, he had, he made three of 14 shots from the field which is 21.4%. Uh, That's pretty poor. Van Vliet, though, I'm going to talk about Van Vliet now. He stepped up. Um, he had 30 points, 11 assists, and he was 8 from 10 from three-point line, 80%. That's pretty huge. He was clutch uh, last year when the opposing team would give Kawhi their attention. But I believe as these playoffs progress, he's going to get more and more attention. And I, I'm not sure if he'll be able to handle the, uh, the attention being drawn to him. I know that Siakam's been doing well all season. He's had 22.9 points per game, 7.3 rebounds per game. And surprisingly, he has 3.5 assists per game, which is pretty good, um, all things considered. But I need, to see him, I need to see more from him during this playoffs to be convinced. I believe he needs to set up uh, – I believe he needs to step up more um, because he had four – he was four of 13 in game one, which is 30.7%. That's shooting from the field, by the way, not from three. 
And he needs to just shoot the ball better than that for me to take this team seriously because Van Vliet's not going to be able to do it alone. Any takes, George? Um, I mean, I pretty much agree with you on this one. I mean, I, I do believe the Raptors played a really good game in game one. I mean, they shot 50% from the three-point range. So are they going to be able to repeat 50%? I'm going to say no. But we'll have to see see if anyone can step up to be that, that number one guy at the end of the games. Yeah, I agree. Um, as you mentioned, you know, you said, 50, you said 50% from three, correct? Correct. Yeah, I think a huge part of that, of course, comes from Van Vliet, who shot 10 threes and made eight. So, you know, I think that's a big deal. Let's move on to the next topic that we have. Um, The first game of the 2020 NBA playoffs featured the Denver Nuggets taking on the Utah Jazz. Donovan Mitchell exploded for 57 points, the third most out of anybody in the NBA playoffs. But he was called for an eight-second violation with 146 left in the fourth quarter in a game where the Jazz were up 109 to 105. Jamal Murray took advantage and took control to force the game into overtime, where he then took over, finishing with 36 points and a Nuggets win. Mike Conley missed the game to leave the bubble and witness the birth of his son. He was not there to play game one. So, George... Did the Jazz miss Mike Conley in game one? I believe so. Just as a leader and a veteran, his presence, I think, would have made a difference, especially with that crucial eight-second call that Mitchell had. Um, And just closing out games. We've seen that the Jazz have trouble closing out some of these close games. They went into a double overtime against the Nuggets in the seeding games and weren't able to take that game away from the Nuggets either. So we're seeing that they're having a little trouble closing out these close games. Uh, Mitchell is an amazing player. Dropped 57 points, 7 assists, and 9 rebounds. He was just balling, but he's going to need some more help from some of these other players. And uh, Jamal Murray came in clutch at the end of the game, sealed the deal. But they definitely missed Mike Collin. Yeah. I'm going to agree with you 100%. I believe they missed Conley's leadership, his ball handling, and his IQ for the game. Uh, Let's look at some statistics. Donovan Mitchell, he had seven assists. The rest of the team had 11 assists combined. Um, That's that's pretty big. Conley, um, not many people know about this, actually, but he steps up in the playoffs like a leader should. Um, His career stats, 14.9 points per game. He had 4.4, he has 4.4 assists per game in his career, and he has a shooting percentage from three of 37.5% from three. They're, those are all pretty average statistics for, for a guard, uh, for a point guard in this day and age. But let's look at the last time he was in the playoffs. It was 2017 versus the Spurs. Now the Spurs, they were, they were hot back then in 2017. And his numbers were... 24.7 points per game, 7.0 assists per game, and he was 17 from 38 from three the entire series, which is 44.7%. He steps up in the playoffs when they need him. I believe that Donovan Mitchell's eight-second violation, which I'm just going to say I think it's personally bogus because I feel like eight seconds – 
that at least the violation it happens a lot and I believe it never gets called. So I don't know why the refs decided to call it at the end of a close playoff game personally, but uh, it was called and it was correct. It was the correct call, but I just don't understand why they decided to uh, start making that call. And especially uh, at the end of a close playoff game, but going back to uh, Mike Conley, I believe if Mike Conley is there, there isn't an eight second violation. Donovan's young, so I think he'll learn from this mistake, uh, but it was still a mistake that I believe Conley would have avoided. With his experience, his veteran IQ, I believe that he would have avoided that mistake. In conclusion, Donovan Mitchell needed him, and the Jazz definitely missed him. Any, any thoughts, George? Uh, totally agree with you, but just going to throw in some more stats. I mean, the Nuggets played an unbelievable game. They shot mm-hmm. 53%. Mm-hmm. From the three-pointer, they had 14 fast-break points compared to three from the Jazz. So they got easier buckets, and they just couldn't miss from three. So not going to win too many games like that or lose too many games like that if you're the Nuggets. Yeah, and, you know, just to kind of go off of what you said, um, the Nuggets did play very well, and I was very impressed with Jamal Murray down the stretch. I mean, you're talking about some – very important, very clutch baskets at the end of the fourth quarter and in overtime to seal this win. Um, so I was very impressed by Jamal Murray. Uh, I believe that him. Uh, I believe that he played, even though even though the even though Donovan Mitchell broke a uh, not broke a record, but he you know scored a ton of points. He was third overall in playoff history. I I still believe that Jamal's buckets at the end of the game were more significant because of the context of the game and because of the fact that the Nuggets needed the Nuggets needed that at that time the most and he stepped up. So the appetizing matchup between the Miami Heat and the Indiana Pacers took place on Tuesday with both Jimmy Butler and TJ Warren in full swing. Jimmy Butler has made the claim that he and Warren's rivalry is quote unquote dead prior to this game. T.J. Warren came to play, though, as he finished with uh, 22 points and 8 rebounds. However, Jimmy Butler would bring home the win for his team by scoring 8 points in the last minutes of the fourth quarter to seal the deal and stamp a 1-0 on the series in favor of the Heat. So, George, is the feud between T.J. Warren and Jimmy Butler truly over? I'm going to say no. Now, I'm going to say no because... If this, if any of these games get chippy, we know we know Jimmy Butler will bark back. You know he's a dog. He's not going to take nothing from mm-hmm. anyone. We seen him go at Chris Paul not that long ago for throwing the ball at his teammate, and mm. so I, I'm assuming these games are going to be close. They're going to be chippy. They have history. So by that and just the way Jimmy Butler is built, he takes no crap from anyone. So it once it gets chippy, once it gets to these late close games, if TJ Warren starts talking or Jimmy Butler starts feeling a type of way, I, I see it fueling up. Yeah. Um, so I I look at this game and um, I'm not sure the feud is over. Uh, I I want to I want to believe Jimmy Butler when he says that the rivalry is dead because I mean Jimmy. You, you can tell that dude, 
he doesn't lie really in interviews. I mean, you know, he he's he straight up told the interviewers when they when they asked him at the at the when the rivalry first started, uh, they asked him at the end of the game, and he straight up says, you know, T.J. Warren, he's soft, man. You know, he I don't I just don't believe he lies honestly to social media. I believe I believe the feud is over just on that fact alone, but I still believe that Jimmy is very motivated to win this series. Now, just because the feud is over doesn't mean it can't, you know, reignite. So I'm looking at this game, and at one point in the game, Jimmy had a steal where he was guarding TJ Warren, and he, you know, ran a fast break for a dunk, and he was seen actually clapping back at a Pacers coach who supposedly was trash-talking Jimmy. There was also a small stretch in the game. Um, It was only 57 seconds from 326 left in the fourth to 229 where Jimmy was just aggressive in a close game. At 326, Jimmy makes a three-pointer, and he seems to motion that he's feeling it. At 246, Jimmy forces a jump ball versus TJ Warren, and he wins that jump ball. Then at 229, Jimmy makes another three, proving how clutch he is and how much he wants this series. So if you were to ask me, I think the feud is over at this time, but I believe that it can definitely reignite through the course of this series because Jimmy is very motivated to win this series. See what you're doing here, Drew is you're bouncing around, man. I I need you to stick to a claim. You think it's over Mm -hmm. or is it still staying? I'm thinking it's at least put on pause because like I said, I want to believe Jimmy when he says the rivalry is dead. Jimmy has given me no reason to believe that he is a liar or he, um, he fakes his claims, you know, in interviews. So he's given me no reason to believe that. So when he says that it's dead, I believe that it's at least put on pause. But I definitely think it can reignite throughout the course of this series. Because as you mentioned, you know, it can get chippy at any point through this series. And if that happens, Jimmy's going to be on a whole nother level. You, you know it. I know it. Um, so I believe it's at least put on pause for sure. Let, let me ask you this real quick. Do you think... Jimmy Butler said it's over out of respect since TJ Warren has been balling in the bubble because to start the feud, he said he wasn't on Jimmy Butler's level, that he can't guard him, that he, you know, he's not at Jimmy Butler's status. So do you think that maybe he gained some respect by balling out in the bubble? Hmm. I believe that, um, I believe that's correct. I believe that's a correct statement. Um, but, uh, at the end of the day, you know, if someone, if someone, you know, s- stirs you the wrong way, I mean, I'm not sure how much they knew each other prior to that first game where the rivalry started. Uh, if someone stirs you the wrong way, I mean, you, you remember that, you know, you might forgive them, but you don't forget, you know what I mean? So I believe that he forgave TJ Warren, but I don't think he forgot if that makes sense. And that is definitely why I believe it is not over. Mm. Interesting take. Uh, Joe, it sounds like you're back, right? Yes, it is. Okay, awesome. So um, do you feel like the feud between TJ Warren and Jimmy Butler is truly over? I believe it's not over. I just believe it's on like a diff- on a smaller scale. Like, you know, like there's little hints towards it. So I believe it's, it's not over. Yeah, um, I was I was kind of semi-agreeing with you, I believe, on there. There's... There was a few things that I pointed out throughout the game um, that 
made me believe that this uh, that made me believe that Jimmy is you know very motivated to win this game, and uh, I believe it showed with with some of those things that I pointed out. So let's move on to our final topic of this podcast, which is the Boston Celtics taking on the Philadelphia 76ers Monday in a tough game that saw some back and forth from both sides. The 76ers were without their floor general, Ben Simmons, and they will be without their floor general for the entire playoffs because Ben Simmons is done for the season. They still have Joel Embiid, who scored 26 points and 16 rebounds for his team, but the Celtics would find a way to get it done behind Jason Tatum's 32 points and Jalen Brown's 29 points. So, George... Do you believe the Celtics need to make a statement in this series to prove their contenders? I, I do believe that. I think if Jason Tatum balls out the way he's doing and Brown balls out the way he's doing, and let's say they, they sweep or gentlemen sweep, I think that's a huge statement and puts the Eastern Conference on notice saying that they're here and they're ready and they want all the smoke. Plus, their chemistry seems to be a lot better this year. And we, we saw what they did, what was it, two years ago when they made the Eastern Conference Finals. So I, I believe a lot of these young players, they're, they're hungry, man. They've been there. They they weren't able to get back there last year or do it again with Kyrie. And I, I just feel like they really want to get back and prove something, put the league on notice. So, But the statement I think they got to make, they just got to dominate the 76ers. Interesting. Joe, what is your take? Do you believe the Celtics need to make a statement in this series to prove their contenders? I, I believe they, they, they made their statement. They balled out against the 76ers, even though it was, it was a pretty good close game. They, they need to do a little better game planning on MB, but they looked really good communicating, uh, uh, passing the ball, scoring I believe that they're back Joe do we have you wait, wait. yeah I, uh Andrew were you not able to hear him I did not hear him I apologize uh, uh oh, yeah. well he, he gave his uh statements he's, he's he's back so I hear him so I'm going to give my take on it uh Joe if you're done are you are you finished yeah I'm finished Right on. So, um, I think that a sweep is going to prove that they're for real. But I also look at the 76ers team and I look at how limited they actually are. Um, No Simmons means that they have no starting floor general. And I think the the stats, when you look at the team statistics, it shows that. Uh, There's two statistics that I look at specifically. One was turnovers. The 76ers had 18 turnovers in this game. The Celtics, they only had seven. The Celtics also had five steals. uh, Or sorry, the the 76ers also had only five steals while the Celtics had 12. So I think that just the leadership and ball handling that Ben Simmons provides was definitely missed. Um, They don't have their floor general, and I believe the Celtics took full advantage of the lack of ball handling by coming up with those key steals so that's my take on it personally what are your guys' thoughts to uh what what we bounced off each other so far definitely agree with what you're saying um now to to go on what joe said 
said something about better game planning for Embiid. Now, Embiid started off hot five for five, but the rest of the game, he really w- wasn't too effective. I, I can't remember the exact number of shots he made, but it, it, he definitely slowed down. Now, I don't know if that's the coaching or the Celtics. I, I believe the Celtics were double-teaming him a lot and making other players make plays, but that's just my final take on on that part. Mm. Any final thoughts, Joe? Yeah, like in the beginning, he did start out hot, uh, but I think it, like they communicated, so that's when they started uh, putting a better a better defense on Embiid. So that's pretty much it. We'll have to see how Joel Embiid does for the rest of the series. Well, that's all the time we have for today, everyone. Thank you for joining us here on Highly Contested. We will po- we will post a podcast every Monday. Wednesday and Friday. So be sure to stay tuned, keep with it, and be prepared to be highly contested. Have a good one.